0: Urban List joins Bonza, Tourism New Zealand, Cathay Pacific, and more on the Mumbrella Travel Marketing Summit program. Unpack exclusive findings from over 9,000 respondents on Australia's travel trends and discover how you can use these learnings to drive your content, communications, and campaigns. To view the full program and book your tickets, head to mumbrella.com.au forward slash travel.
1: Viewing figures for the FIFA Women's World Cup off to a smashing start for seven, but what can we expect next? Plus, new SMI figures today revealed the Australian ad market is slowly crawling back up. And finally, big moves at Nine Entertainment at a board level. All that before we hear about the acquisition of Sefiani Communications from boss Robin Sefiani and Clarity Global Group, Sammy McCabe, in a special recording from Mumbrella 360. Welcome back to the Mumbrella cast. I'm Lauren McNamara and joining me today is Editorial Director Damien Francis. Damien, how's it going?
0: Happy Eve of the Mumbrella Awards, Lauren.
1: Yes, yes. Do we celebrate
0: that? Should we celebrate that? Yeah, why not? I don't think we have the budget to celebrate that. It's all going towards tomorrow. (laughs) That's why I'm wearing a bow tie, right? (laughs) And quite a fetching one it is. Yes, yes. Although Nathan's run out of battery to get it to spin, again, budget cuts. Uh,
1: Yes, here as well, Nathan Jolly. Nathan, how's your week been so far? It's
2: been good.
1: Good, good. good.
0: And it's good to have you here again, Nathan. I've missed sitting next to you in this podcast recording. I've got to say one thing, actually, before we get into the whole podcast recording stuff, our own podcast, Mm -hmm. I'm going to push another podcast for those of us in the audience who are marketing and advertising aficionados, which I assume everyone is, have a listen to the latest Verge cast, uh, which is great because they spend like the whole first half of their very long, like one and a half hour episodes talking about the rebranding of Twitter to X. Oh, yeah. Which, uh, which Nathan is like an expert in. Um, but in it, they discuss the, uh, the challenge – of having an ex-marketer and advertising professional in uh, Linda Iaccarino, who's CEO of Twitter slash X, leading that charge in terms of the terminology and language she uses to explain it. It's a fascinating little insight into what, People outside of the media marketing industry think of the people inside it. We've been discussing for so long, you know, we'd love to see more CMOs in CEO positions. Turns out, maybe other people, not so much. But anyway, (laughs) listen to that episode. It dropped uh, this morning Australian time. I think it's well worth it.
1: Fantastic. Well, jumping right into our own podcast podcast. Nathan, the Women's World Cup is in full swing and we're seeing some great moves from the Matildas. Uh, Two wins and a shock loss before their smashing win over Canada. Uh, What have the audience figures been like so far for their games?
2: Well, the 4-0 drop-in of Canada was actually the top rating program for Channel 7 all year. It's amazing. They had 2.1 million viewers nationally, so the five-city metro that's 1.54 million, which is quite amazing Like compared to the Ashes, which 750,000 on the same day, like they're, they're basically getting double the audience that the Ashes is getting, which is amazing. And the first game, the, the Irish game, that was 1.24 for the five city metro. And the audience actually fell off a bit for the Nigerian game. I'm not sure why that was. I think we all assumed we were going to win it. Yeah, was, right. You that know, it, yeah. there was
0: less pressure on us after that. We had won the first one without Sam Kerr. Uh, there was probably the assumption that the Nigeria game wasn't going to be as intense as it was and certainly wasn't going to result in the loss. Um, and then there's that knife edge game against Canada for, for the seven executives as well, to be fair, because yeah. they would have all been sitting there going, Oh Lord! If Australia loses and is out at group stage, our ratings, you know, plummet for the remaining matches that we're scheduled to show. Um, so that that was an a,
2: a edge your seat battle for more than one reason.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, they'll be very happy that they won that because England versus China, for example, last night's match that was in it? it was on seven May and it was on at nine PM, but that and they got two hundred and fifty nine. Thousand viewers across the five cities which is still good like that's quite good for like soccer let alone women's soccer let alone england versus china let alone seven mate like it it topped in like got into the top 20 rankings for the day mm, so that's okay. that's a good like it's a good result but that's not what you pay millions upon millions for sporting rights for just put on more home and away if that's what you get getting <laughs> No need, we're through to the knockout stage. (laughs) Yeah, that's
1: true. Uh, So speaking of, Optus Sport has partnered to sub-licence the rights of uh, 15 Women's World Cup matches to seven. Yeah. Um, What have the other ratings been like so far out of the Matildas games?
2: Well, other than the Matildas games, yeah, not too good. Like better than you'd expect, but yeah, they really did need the... (laughs) the Matildas to come through, as Emma was saying.
0: And to be fair, I I don't think that's any sort of commentary on on women's sport or soccer or anything like that. This is what happens when you've got a global competition like this playing in our our home country and, you know, it's always going to be a a bias towards Australian matches. Um, That's just how it's going to roll. I mean, the figures on... That, that Canada match would just out of this world, you would assume that playing Denmark on Monday, 8.30, I think it is, is already 70,000 tickets sold for that match, uh, you know, live. Those viewing figures are going to be sensational uh, for that one. Every game now is knockout, you lose, you're gone, that's it, game over. You should uh, – you would expect that, you know, the, the, the sponsors – um, of which seven and, and Optus made a bit of a, a big deal about that prior to kicking off. Which uh, on the on the broadcasts uh, include Hyundai, Rexona, Qantas, Cadbury, Coca Cola, Kia, McDonald's, Visa. Zero, some big name mm-hmm. sponsors there. They're going to be quite happy at the moment: a that the Matildas are through, and b that um, you know we've seen those audiences come to the party and and get involved. Um, 'Cause yeah, I think Nathan probably agrees, right, out of this yeah. world so far.
2: Yeah, well it's just like a it's a smash for seven. Like the Logies was another ratings winner for seven over the last week. And by comparison, for the five cities, the five metros, that got eight hundred and seventy seven thousand as opposed to one point five four million. So it's quite a quite a difference between the audiences that are tuning in. And that's like for the Logies, which was By all accounts, a success for them. So, yeah, it's very heartening to see the amount of people that are really getting behind the Matildas, and will continue to because these ratings will only go up as long as they win. (laughs) As long (laughs) as,
0: as long as they, if they can, if they can win against Denmark again, like, I guess, do you expect then to see the numbers go up again? In you know, you would think that each time they progress, there should be a small progression in numbers as well but you know let's see whether they get past Denmark on on Monday I wouldn't necessarily like to be uh competing shows on other networks at that time slot um on Monday night but um yeah, yeah it's it's once in a blue moon sort of
1: situation that we've got on Monday Yeah I was going to ask actually what what do you kind of expect Nathan for the upcoming matches if the Matildas don't win on Monday
2: Gee, well, I think it's more interesting to see how Seven will treat the upcoming matches. Will mm-hmm. they like? Will they air them all? Will they air them on like tape delay, as it was called in the old days? Probably now file delay. Like, it, like because they're not really. Like I don't I don't quite know what the deal they have with Optus is, but they were paying for the Matilda games. Like that's where that's where the value was for them and that's where the value is clearly coming through with the ratings. So. Yeah,
0: oh, look, I can answer that question for you actually, Nath, um, because I've got it in front of me, not because I remember it off the top of my head, by the way. <laughs> Here we are, off the uh, Yeah, that's all. Yeah, <laughs> off my noggin. Uh, 15 key matches is how they've phrased it. Now those include the two opening day matches, two quarterfinals, both semifinals, uh, plus like you've mentioned, uh, every Matildas game. Um, so that was the, the the deal with Seven, obviously, uh, as a free-to-air um, product. For them, the value comes with the Matildas making it through as opposed to not making it through and then still having to show the quarters and, and the semis. So, well, like like I say, two of those quarterfinals, but then they'll show both semis regardless um, and, and the finals as well. If the Matildas don't make it through, I will also be extraordinarily... Uh, interested to see what kind of ratings come through uh, on that as yeah. well, just more from the perspective of A soccer and B women's sport. How many people keep pushing and getting behind it keep and, the and following, going, keep the yeah. momentum Exactly that, you know. I think um, to your point, Nathan, the, the England versus China match. You know, there are a lot of England, England expats out here yeah. that probably drove that a bit. Obviously, a huge amount of Chinese expats out here as well. Um, I wonder if that was an anomaly match because of that or, yeah. or not. Um, you know, I guess we'll see as we move further into the the, the comp as well. I think America is still favourites to to take it out. Uh, how far does England go? How far does China go? Uh, are the countries remaining countries that we don't have a lot of um, uh, the, those uh, immigrants in Australia and, and therefore doesn't draw a, a big crowd? A lot of question marks.
2: Yeah, it would be interesting to see how the Matildas games are going overseas. Are people tuning in to see them that don't have, like people that don't have a stake in the game, are they tuning in just generally to watch the World Cup? Because that's the health of it going forward. will rely on that because it's all very good to have your team in the finals, but if your team's not in the finals, are you still watching? Yeah, I think that's what's going to really kind of, be important to see.
1: Moving on, new standard media index figures today show the Australian ad market is finally sort of improving after a tough six months without high government ad spend. Damo, could you walk us through the most important figures revealed today?
0: Yeah, so I guess it depends... Who you ask, Lauren, because there's a lot of commentary around the stats at the moment, p- different people taking out different stats. Uh, record level of underlying ad spend for the, the fin year, a total ad demand up 2.2%. Uh, that's when you include the uh, long fabled government ad spend around COVID and elections, etc., cetera, et cetera uh but headline level total is back zero point two percent to eight point eight billion um now like I say you know those uh good figures if you look at the the spend including the, the the government um but when you take it out to be back zero point two percent it's probably better than people expected um but it's still a, a, an underlying loss um. The SMI suggested it was a a period of of two halves, you know, which smart aleck will go, of course, the financial year has two halves in it, but uh, very clearly the first half uh, demand was up quite significantly, uh, 3.4% in the first six months, but it fell 4% in the the final half. Uh, So a bit of a difficult end uh, to the year. Within that, there are sectors that are doing very well and sectors that are struggling. So, uh, unsurprisingly, outdoor for the fin year was the the biggest improver. We've talked about why that is. I think everyone knows, obviously, it was one of the most affected by, by COVID to, to see it continue to climb. Great result for outdoor, but not necessarily unexpected, uh, up 23.9% total outdoor for the fin year. Uh, Strugglers, uh, the newspaper section of news media down 17.1% for the fin year. So again, depending on the categories. Um, Again, maybe unsurprisingly, sectors that have done very well, uh, travel showing significant uh, increase, um, up a total of 46.5% this fin year. And again, we all know that people are starting to, travel more overseas and domestically there's a lot more confidence in market now uh somewhat interesting automotive continues to lift strongly as well 20.8 uh up but um look it's an interesting market at the moment because like i say depending on how you look at those figures you could either be quite happy or a bit subdued
1: yeah we've seen a bit on social media this morning about it um would you would you say that this is good?
0: I would say it's in line with expectations. Yeah, okay. realistically, um, you know, I think the it was put best, like you said, on, on, on social media by the the managing director of Nun Media, Chris Walton, who's uh, uh, thankfully for us trade media journalists never shied of opinion, um, and he brought out some really good points on a on a post in LinkedIn. Uh, pointing towards seven consecutive months of, of decline, and that things appear to be getting worse. Uh, and I quote, he said, "In economic parlance, we would now be describing our industry as being in deep recession." Uh, anyone describing anything to be in deep recession, obviously, uh, is not good news. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he also said that you know, when you have a look at that zero point two percent drop that was largely a good result because of two bumper months of september and october and if you take them out it's completely different situation um that's all quite negative stuff but there are positives and we've seen it locally you know in terms of the inflation levels are starting to drop you know june for us at 5.5 percent you know remember we were crawling up around the eight percent mark which was kind of unheard of Um, so to see inflation drop uh, that's good for for the market Uh, but also uh, walton again uh, points to the u.s uh, as an indicator uh, for us uh, suggesting that the ad market in the u.s appears to be surging uh, at the moment Uh, consumer spend is down but marketing uh, marketers and brands are are investing uh, a lot of money Uh, so you know the There's reason to be optimistic, uh, but there's also just the reality that, you know, the the figures aren't great, but we probably knew that that's what was going to happen.
2: And And any comparative figures over the last few years, are just going to suffer from that COVID thing in every way. It's like you can't compare outdoor advertising, the depths of COVID to now. Just like you can't, like Qantas weren't doing too many flight advertisements during COVID. So, of course, it's up 40%. It's all that kind of. Figures like this, yeah, just have to take with a grain of salt.
0: Yeah, look, absolutely, and we'll have to for a little bit longer as well until we see proper year-on-year figures um, that aren't, in some way, shape, or form, affected um, by the various challenges we've had. Um, you know, but look, we're coming off a, a, a stabilised interest rate, uh, the RBA not moving yesterday, which is uh, again promising. You know, in this cost of living crisis brands hopefully take a little bit of solace in that i don't necessarily think there's going to be any real additional consumer spending that comes off the back of that but perhaps a a bit of a sigh of relief breathed by a large component of consumers including myself paying my stupendous mortgage which i'm in the same boat as a, a lot of other uh, people in australia in particular sydney and melbourne and and, and possibly brisbane as well but um you know, look, I think um, at the end of the day, you know, we're in a very tricky position uh, at the moment, um, and the way out might not be starting now. We might still be in a, 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 an environment where um, no news is kind of good news at the moment. <music>
1: And finally, Nathan, there have been some key movements for Nine Entertainment at a board and management level. Uh, What were they?
2: Um, Well, first of all, they've got a new CFO. They've brought Matt Stanton up, who's been at the company for a little while, and he is replacing Maria Phillips, who will be stepping down, and she'll be leaving the company when they release their financials, which should be in the next few weeks. I'm going to be quick because we're getting the wind-up here. From from uh,
0: Patrick, who's joined us as intern um, for the for the next uh, little while, he's, he's never leaving. Rambling, he's never leaving. No. We're rambling, and he's telling us to get the hell off the mic. So <laughs> I'll keep this one quick. But uh, Matt Stanton's interesting.
1: Yes, uh,
0: you know, obviously he's been at Nine for for a little while now. Uh, joined in September 2022 as as the chief strategy officer, now bringing finance into uh, into the the remit, but um, For those of you who are going, I remember that name, but I can't quite place it. Um, Well, that would be because he's the former CEO of of Bauer um, a decade or or so ago. Very, very high profile role in the media marketing industry then, but also uh, was the the CEO of King Content um, for a short amount of time. Uh, has to be said. and King's obviously had its uh, significant struggles uh, at the time, but um, uh, Matt's had a pretty decent uh, finance background uh, as, as well, including uh, time at the EMAP uh, working in the finance department as well as at uh, InBev, uh, as well as the finance director many moons ago. So uh, good to see him back in a very prominent position uh, at nine.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he goes in this new role and, and uh if any more changes are made in the coming months.
2: Well he helped negotiate the Paralympics and Olympics for nine as well so he's coming in pretty hot. He knows a thing or two. He does.
1: Coming up next a special fireside chat from Umbrella 360 featuring Robin Sefiani and Sammy McCabe. Mm-hmm.
0: It's an absolute pleasure to have you both here, Robin and Sammy. Uh, it was a, a fascinating bit of news uh, when when we heard about it. Uh, and Robin, I had a great conversation with you when it um, when the news started to to break. Uh, obviously, a PR agency that Mumbrella has followed for a long, long time and, and one that I've personally known uh, for a long, long time, but Clarity, not so much a name uh, that I've known for a while. Um So I think, uh, first of all, big thank you for coming out all the way from the US, Sammy. I I believe you landed yesterday, so still a a bit of a a jet lagged haze, I'm sure, so big effort. Um, But I think a a good place to probably start the conversation, Robin, is uh, maybe a brief history of Sefiani, how it came to be, why why you were doing what you were doing, because I think Sefiani's been part of the the PR landscape for such a long time, everyone knows of it, but perhaps, you know, that sort of context has been lost a bit.
3: Okay. Um, Well, thanks, Damien. So, I established the firm 23 years ago after a 12-year career with Edelman. Um, So, I had a global mindset when I established Sefiani, but obviously wanted to operate within the Australian market and really focus on high-stakes communication with C-suite clients. So that was the initial goal. Um, Over the years, and really driven by clients, we've grown and expanded, um, become much broader in our remit. But at our heart, Sefiani people are agents of change, working with clients for positive impact. And on the whole, that means corporate communications, (coughs) corporate reputation management, business-to-business comms, issues and crisis management. Um, and what's been terrific um, with the becoming part of Clarity Global Group is now really having a strong content, digital, data analytics and insights capability. So, um, yeah, so I think that's probably in a nutshell mm. who we are. Yeah, and why
0: Why did you start it? What gave you that, um, you know, that push to to go it alone, essentially?
3: Yeah, well, um, it probably was, it wasn't my decision. I had been co-president of Asia Pacific at Edelman and I'd been at Edelman for 12 years. I was on the global board and I was asked by Richard Edelman to move to Hong Kong or Singapore and run all of Edelman Asia Pacific. I had a young child at the time and my husband at that time had worked in Sydney, didn't want to work anywhere else. I didn't want to move so I declined the opportunity to relocate and Richard's... But I said, I'd be very happy to do the whole regional role and I would be happy to fly wherever, whenever. And Richard and I were walking in the botanical gardens in Sydney at the time and he looked at me and he said, Rob, that could be a career-limiting decision. And at the time I thought, what does that mean? I thought, maybe no more promotions, no more <coughs> salary increases. Mm. What does that really mean? Um... And I didn't think a lot more of it at the time. But I remember a few months later hopping on a flight to, I think, Montreal for an Edelman global board meeting and thinking, I've been doing this for 12 years. Is this going to be what I'm doing for the rest of my career? And I felt a bit flat. And not long after that, Dan Edelman, who founded the company, Richard's (coughs) father, in his 80s, flew all the way from Chicago to tell me personally they were restructuring Edelman, Asia Pacific, and my role was no longer required. Right. So they were appointing the person in Hong Kong as president of the whole region. And Dan looked at me and said, so, Robin, I can see you heading a really great peak industry association. I said, no, Dan, I'll become your fiercest competitor <laughs> in Australia. Um, and... and there you are. That's that's the story of how it all began. That's a long way
0: to fly out just to tell you that <laughs> bit of information.
3: We had a great working relationship, Dan yeah.
0: and I. Yeah, yeah fantastic. Yeah. Um, Sammy, I'd love to know a little bit more about Clarity Global because, again, it's not a name necessarily that Australia is too familiar with. Sure. Um, but it's a name that a lot of people in other regions are, are quite familiar with. Uh, Can you tell us a bit about the group and what you're known for and what your strengths are and uh, how it all came about?
4: Absolutely. So um, I started Clarity about 10 years ago in London. Originally conceived as a media relations agency for early stage venture capital backed startups. Over the course of the last 10 years we've grown and evolved significantly. Today, we're uh, north of 150 people across seven locations internationally. Uh, PR media relations is still at the heart of what we do, but we've been very acquisitive over the last several years and have bought in a bunch of new capabilities that give us the opportunity today to sell a very kind of uh, integrated, full stack uh, digital marketing and communications offering um our client base has evolved as well from the early stage guys uh, up to you know big global brands uh, and really i think you know we're at a point where we have the scale the resources and reach to uh, have a conversation with brands about you know their business challenges and opportunities and we're able to bring to those conversations a really kind of comprehensive robust set of tools to help them Overcome those challenges and seize those opportunities. So um, we've made a lot of progress in a relatively short period of time. But uh, you know, as I keep saying internally, we've really only just begun and see a big opportunity in the next several years to uh, to grow significantly larger than we are.
0: Tell me about the the, the reason for the interest in Australia. What um, you know, we're a small market. <laughs> um, we've got a lot of PR agencies, some sure. very established ones, like of course, Sefiani. Um, Why the interest in Australia and why the idea of requiring a, an Australian agency? Yeah, and a
4: couple of reasons. Um, I mean, firstly, Sydney is a great place to come and visit. So, you know, quite, <laughs> quite keen to hop on so that, that So yeah, that, <laughs> that, that was That was a big part of it. Um, no, but jokes aside, um, Australia is a very, it is a small market, but it's very resilient. English speaking, Um, lots of, you know, from the UK, so lots of kind of cultural connectivity there. And uh, Really, we're looking for a launch pad for further growth. Across the Asia Pacific region, Mm. so felt that um, acquiring a you know the leading independent agency in this market would be a great uh, place to start exploring how we expand right across the 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 APAC region,
0: which is interesting because um, a lot of businesses now are looking at Australia as a good base for the APAC region, but particularly Sydney and Melbourne, Mm -hmm. Um, whereas. Previously, it was all about Singapore or Hong Kong. Um, Why do you think, you know, Australia is that sort of ideal location to start a base around here for for APAC?
4: Well, I think um, it's not just Australia, it's it's Sefiani specifically. Mm. Uh, Already, Sefiani is, you know, engaged in working across the the broader region. Um, Clearly, you know, the uh, opportunity to... Um, acquire a business with people like uh, Robin and all of the experience that she has uh, across the, the 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 APAC region as a whole just gives us such a great advantage. Rather than going directly into Singapore or Hong yep. Kong, this felt like a much less risky approach to tackle the market.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Um, one of the big sort of topics that we've been covering across the agency landscape, uh, particularly over the last sort of year and a half, is the emergence of independent agencies. Across advertising, media, PR, uh, it seems like a really good environment at the moment for top-level agency executives at big networks to sort of step out, do their own thing, much like you did, Robin, Mm -hmm. um, after Edelman. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've just done the reverse, (laughs) essentially, Um, and and join up with Clarity. So, I'm interested to... Understand, you know, your thinking around that, and and why, I guess, why now, and what made you take that jump? Because I assume, uh, and it is only the assumption, that over the past many years, you probably have had a fair few knocks on the door inquiring about whether you're for sale or not.
3: Yes, and so there's a lot of a lot of um, components in your question. The first thing I would say is clarity is also an independent agency. So that was an appeal for me. Um, And, yes, we've had many approaches over two decades. When you're young in your agency and you're still building – it doesn't make sense in my view to sell because when you look at the sa- at the acquisition price, you can make far more than that in dividends as an agency owner if you're going to be working for the next 10 or 15 years. So when I got approaches early in Sefiani's being, it did not make sense to mm. sell. Um, last year, early last year, I start every year with – what am I going to do this year that's better or different at Sefiani? I have to excite myself and then excite the team with what we're going to be doing differently and better. And, it occurred to me that there was one thing we really needed to do better, and that was our digital capability, our data analytics and insights capability, because Sefiani has grown up um, as a strategic comms agency, absolutely expert in stakeholder relationships and media engagement, um, but we were not as strong as I believed we needed to be in our digital and content offering. So. Um, We tested that with our team at a strategy day and the feeling was mutual across the team. The universe must have heard our thoughts uh, because we got three different approaches out of the blue from one big Australian agency and two global agencies, one very large one, one clarity. And um, Sammy had
0: tapped the offices. <laughs>
3: well, amazingly, Sammy came in late. I was well down the path in discussions with the large agency. Mm. Um, and But what was really important to me in addition to our product offering, was continuity of Sefiani for our people and our clients. We have an amazing team at Sefiani and I wanted to be sure that we were able to offer really great career pathways. Um, and when you're a, when you're an independent agency, there's only so many jobs and so many opportunities for promotion. But when you become part of a global agency, suddenly the world opens up um, with with different types of roles, different geographies, um, different markets, um, and that was a driving factor for me mm. in making the decision that now was the right time to sell.
0: Did you ever consider building those capabilities yourself? For, yes. You know, was, yes. Was that possible?
3: So. Obviously, last year when I was thinking about how do we broaden our services and deepen our services, there were three ways mm. to do that. One is we could have gone out and bought a small digital agency. Mm-hmm. Second, we could have simply decided to hire great people, new people and Invest in people before you get the business, which is not usually what you do as an agency leader. Usually you win the business, then hire the people. Uh, we would have had to have done it in reverse. And the third option was to think about being acquired ourselves and join a company that had what we needed. And to me, that was the quickest way to achieve the goal.
0: Mm. Fair enough, um, <clears throat> Sammy. As the as the acquirer, mm-hmm. a, as such, the uh, the shark in the tank, <laughs> etc. <cetera>, um, <laughs> you know, you've you've got a lot of opportunity around the world. There are a lot of, like I said before, right? There are a lot of great indie agencies. Uh, some are quite young, mm-hmm. though, as as Robin mentioned. Yeah. Um, what is it that you look out for in an agency? Uh, are you looking for a specific I guess, uh, set of achievements they've had or, or specific abilities? How do you find, you know, discover well, the next acquisition?
4: Yeah, so when we, we, we get approached, you know, daily at this point with agencies who are interested in uh, starting a conversation, <coughs> uh, the first thing to assess is whether they fit into our kind of broader strategic, mm. you know, growth plan. Uh, and once we've ticked that box, what we are really looking at is three – criteria is this agency going to bring new products capabilities and services into our group is it going to give us feet on the ground in a valuable new geographic market and is it going to give us access to client verticals that historically haven't been a strength of ours and in in an ideal world you really want to tick at least two of those three boxes Uh, and in the case of sefiani that was uh, certainly the case um then there's a the question of you know the uh, fundamentals of the business from a kind of financial performance perspective uh, which again sefiani was outstanding from that point of view and then finally i think in some ways most importantly we spend a lot of time assessing the more kind of uh, nebulous hard to define hard to measure qualities of the agency such as whether there's alignment on values and culture and mission uh, and again, you know, Robin and I—I uh, think—I uh, don't want to speak for Robin, but I couldn't be more mm. aligned on 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 those important things. And that became very obvious very quickly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was the perfect example of a uh, uh, an acquisition target—you know—just meeting all of our criteria very rapidly. Uh, if you're
0: not allow- uh, aligned now, is your time to switch.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, well, actually, to me, the cultural fit was the most—the the first thing that had to be ticked. Mm am I going to like working with these people? And the answer was absolutely yes, which is why I decided to put on hold the discussions with the first global agency to check out the Clarity agency and its offer in more detail because I really warmed to Sammy the first time we had a call. Um, And then what I really liked was how Sammy then said, okay, I want the leaders of Clarity to meet the leaders of Sefiani. And to me, that was a winning question because I wanted to make sure that the leadership team at Sefiani, which is phenomenal, um, was going to have huge opportunity within any company that acquired us. And what's been really lovely is it's not just the leadership team of Mandy Garme, Nick Owens, Tina Peng who have those opportunities, it's all of our team and they've all had the opportunity to get to know their colleagues across Clarity, um, sharing knowledge, um, having the opportunity to be considered for the pathways, um, which was actually introduced into Clarity earlier this year. So there's a, a president pathway, which is knowledge experts, and a partner pathway, which is business and agency management. And so our team at Sefiani now know that you know these are Global pathways they can pursue within the Clarity Global Group, and that's exciting. Mm.
0: Mm. It's like a it's like a, a rom com almost. <laughs> you know, coming at the last minute, and yeah. um, and like,
4: was, at least from my my point of view, is you know, love at first sight. My first uh, <laughs> first video call. This is like this is actually yeah, Robin and I met for the first time in person yesterday, but uh, yep. we, we feel like it our was friends.
3: really bizarre. <laughs> I, I met Sammy in the lobby downstairs, and we just looked at each other, <laughs> and and I said, "You look exactly." Exactly like you look on this computer screen, <laughs> yeah. and he Did said, you like how
0: tall he was?"
3: <laughs> no, it was just—it was just really a bizarre moment, yeah. wasn't
0: it? Yeah. Uh, the the wonders of COVID uh, and, and everyone working from home—that was fantastic. Mm. Uh, Sammy, I'd, I'd love to know a bit about um, how the, that that conversation actually began. In, in terms of you know, like Robin said, you were kind of yeah. late to to the party on, on that one, but. Was there even a, a a party? How did you understand that, you know, maybe Sefiani was a, an acquisition?
4: I think, it, you know, um, and Robin, you may remember better than I, but uh, our chief commercial officer is Australian, although she's based in the UK. And we were talking about Australia being an interesting market for us to look at from from an MNA standpoint. And she mentioned she'd heard good things about Sefiani. I can't exactly remember what the connection was, but... Uh, Just reached out directly to Robin and the timing was kind of uh, perfect given Robin was already engaged in other discussions. So, um, yeah, we're very fortunate to get in before uh, Robin went in a different direction.
0: (laughs) And so how does that actually, how does that play out? Because obviously, you know, acquiring a business is a lot of components to it, a lot of complexity to it, particularly, you know, you're not a small independent, you know, you're a fairly well-established you know, I'd probably say medium to large sized, you know, agency. So how do you how do you go through those steps and the processes? How long does it take, you know, how do I require a, a PR agency with my immense journalism
3: salary? <laughs> It's really onerous, Damien. <laughs> Let me tell you, it is not. All right, a, I'm out there. It not, is not. not a, it is not a <laughs> joyful process, um, and it takes up six to seven months of your life, mm. where all you think about is the due diligence that you have to do. And and Tina Peng is sitting here, our amazing director of finance and operations. I mean, it pretty much absorbed her life for six to seven months as well, um, because you have to you have to download every M- microscopic detail about your business, um, because obviously, if someone's offering money to buy you, they have to know everything, what's mm-hmm. and all. Um, and it's not just the financial performance; it's every little thing about every client relationship and every contract and your history and your people, everything. Um, so, you, I think the term is you have to open your kimono. <laughs> <laughs> um as part of this process <laughs>
0: yeah yeah uh, and so seven months uh like you say was there any time in that because that's a long long period was there any time in that where you you know either of you maybe said oh hold, hold on may, maybe too hard basket or maybe different decision how did that sort of play out
4: I'll, I'll go first. I mean, not, not for me. We, we've been very acquisitive over the last mm. three or four years, so we're quite kind of accustomed to that process. But, um, you know, uh, there are always bumps on the road in a deal and there are always, you know, issues that arise that are unexpected. And um, in, in many ways, those issues are a really good test of whether or not the relationship is going to work post-transaction. Um, and, you know, I think they are... Uh, moments in the, in the deal that were definitely tense and difficult, but I was really encouraged at the time by how Robin and I were able to collaborate in a way to, to overcome those obstacles. And I think that's, you know, um, a great foundation on which to build a long, long relationship. The other thing I should mention is we've, you know, uh, aborted deals, you know, pretty far down the line when those, you know, moments of tension haven't resulted in a positive constructive conversation and you know it's a really one of the golden rules of MA is you have to walk away even if you've sunk a lot of costs and time yeah. into it particularly if you feel like the cultural alignment isn't isn't there and you only really get to understand whether you're cult- aligned on culture and values after this process of working together on actually doing the deal so uh,
0: um and because i am a a pesky troublemaking journalist sure. i am going to ask you um can you give us some examples of what those kind of uh challenges you know could be yeah. and you don't have to necessarily <laughs> talk about the <laughs> <Sefiani laughs>
4: ones well I mean, there weren't many and i don't want to paint a, 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 the, the wrong picture mm-hmm. here but um Look, you know, it's a a, a sizable transaction and that uh, demands lots of, you know, um, lawyers on both sides, accountants on both sides, advisors on both sides. And, you know, it's really, you know, given the the size of the transaction, there's a lot of, you know, uh, focus on the detail and, you know, um, that can result in some difficult conversations. But, I don't know if we're going to go into anything more specific than that, Robin. No.
3: I mean, all I would say is um, I had a holiday to Italy booked in the middle of all of this. And I said to my corporate advisor who was based in Singapore, I said, you just deal with it for three weeks. I need a total Mm. break. Um, You just keep the conversations going and only contact me if there is something really, really critical because it, it, it does overwhelm and overtake you um and you know that you want to have a, a positive outcome but it it is not for the faint hearted i think any agency owner thinking of going through this process just needs to have their eyes wide open as to what it involves mm.
0: robin you you spent so much of your professional career building sefiani up and put so much of your personal effort uh, and time into it, yeah. Um, kind of asking your uh, sort of uh, opinion on that, that seven month process, how did you, you know, Sammy's been through it a, a number of times before, you haven't, how did you deal with that? And were there any points where you thought, oh, ma- maybe, maybe I'm going to hit that eject button?
3: It's probably the most stressful thing I've ever done. Um, One of the reasons for that is it's the first time I've ever done it. And I think, you know, anything in life when you're taking on something that's big and important, and it wasn't just for me, it was for the whole team and for our clients, there's a lot at stake and you want to get it right. So, you know, you have to think about everything so carefully. And yes, you're getting advice from the legal firm, the corporate advisory firm, the accounting firm, but ultimately, you've got to make the decision yourself, um, which I did in consultation with my other shareholders, um, and I had their best interests at heart the whole time. And yes, there were times when I was thinking, "Oh my God, you know, is it worth it?" Um, yes, so you do have those moments, and and they're in the room, and they will remember that I would, you know, say, "Can we just meet for a coffee?" And I'll say, "Look." I'm, I'm, this is how I'm feeling, you know, is this the right thing? And they say, yes, Robin, it's the right thing. <laughs> so, you know, I think, I think having the support of some shareholders that you really trust implicitly and you're all working toward the same goal, that really kept me going. Um, I think if it had just, if I'd been the 100% shareholder myself and I was, this was all on me, I don't know whether I would have got to the end of it. I might have just found it was all too stressful. But um, um, I'm very glad we persevered. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um,
0: you, you mentioned, you know, this is yesterday. It was the first time you'd met actually in person. So yeah. you know, all of these conversations had happened virtually or, or by phone or, or whatever. Um, how? Did you find that did that add complexity to the process or are you used to doing it that way Sammy?
4: look I think uh everything uh flows more smoothly when you're able to sit down with people in person for sure but um <clears throat> you know we we do have uh some experience of acquiring businesses without you know sitting down and around a table with them in person um you know through covid that was the only way to do it so um, I think I've you know developed a pretty good sense for uh, people uh, and whether or not the the cultural uh, and values alignment is there over a video call. Uh, and in every case you know where we haven't been able to sit down in person, these deals have worked out really, really well. but uh, yeah, I think in an ideal world, you probably want to spend some time together
3: For me. Um, I didn't feel the burning need to hop on a plane mm-hmm. and fly yeah. to San Francisco or New York or London to meet um, the Clarity leaders face to face. I really felt, and maybe I was, I, we'd been in COVID lockdown long enough to be to be able to just get really used mm-hmm. to, Meetings on Teams and and Zoom and so on, but I didn't have that desire. I, I didn't. I felt I was getting to know these people as well as I needed to know them, um, and we had many many calls. So and we asked a lot of tough questions. Um, so it's it's quite amazing, isn't it? What because mm. it's a significant thing to sell in your business. Yes. Yeah. your baby that you've spent. So long, building. Um, yeah, but it was it was fine from my perspective. And for mm. someone
0: like you, Robin, as well, who's who remains in the business, is still integral part of that business. Knowing I mean, you're going to have to deal with Sammy and the Clarity team <laughs> moving forward, yet having not, you know, un- until recently met, you know, Sammy himself and and yeah. potentially the, the, a lot of the rest of the team. That that's a big call. <laughs>
3: Not real. I don't see it that way. Mm. Um, so a lot of the a lot of the business leaders are in London, and um, two of my colleagues actually have spent a week each in the Clarity office in London, working and getting to know um, everybody over there. I'm going in September for a two day board meeting, and we'll be doing the the forward planning and strategic um, business plan for Clarity for the next two to three years and then we'll come back here and do the same for Sefiani once we've got the the Clarity strategy established. Um, and the feedback from Mandy and Ian both whom have been within the Clarity London team has just been so positive, um, so excited. Um, so and I and I think everyone in our team has had the opportunity to engage with Clarity people in things like social shuffles (laughs) just you know we had one one afternoon on a call with the Amsterdam team just casual informal chat and it they just felt like colleagues immediately and then we've done one with the I think LA team recently um so uh, yeah it just it just you have to trust your gut Mm. a lot you know of course the numbers matter a lot but at the end of the day, we have to trust our instincts and our gut feeling, I think, with things like this, um, because how do, how do you, um, you can't scientifically decide whether you're going to like working with someone. It's just got to feel right. And you can get that sense over a call. Yep. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm going to throw to the audience to see if there are any questions in the audience soon. But uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask now, deals done you you've met which is good <laughs> um, it, what happens next what's what's the what's the plan now moving forward and how long is it going to take to get there? Uh, I might start with you, Robin.
3: So it's all about integration, integrating Sefiani with Clarity Global Group. And I have to say the first month to me personally <clears throat> felt like drinking from a fire hose because everything was coming at us <laughs> and we were we were shielding our team from that. Um, but It was fast and furious. It's now settled down into a really lovely regular cadence um, and the (coughs) integration is across people, product and process. So we've talked a little bit about how our people know that, you know, what the career pathways are, but they're also getting involved with um, global task forces, um, global mentoring programs um, and global knowledge sharing um, then on the product side, we've had quite a few educational sessions with the global head of, uh, the president of Clarity Global Digital. Um, we have hired an amazing person who used to work within Clarity London, who came to Australia and, um, she's now head of editorial content globally, but Alice has been a great conduit for us because she knows the people back in Clarity, in the Clarity world, if you like, um, and, and our revenue, our revenue is lifting in the digital marketing area, which is exactly what we had hoped for. Um, and then in process, we're now accessing things like um, client satisfaction surveys, much better than we had ourselves, um, new business processes. Um Human resources and, and professional development platforms. So we've now got access to software platforms and technology. And, um, you may know or may not know that Sammy is personally passionate about everything tech. <laughs> so, um, one of the things that we're lucky enough to be able to access is an amazing technology stack, yep. um, that we, there's no way as an Australian independent, we could have invested in in that. Mm, mm. um, Clarity is looking at AI and um, has developed a number of its own AI platforms to help make mundane tasks easier within the agency and, and we'll be continuing to update and review that on a monthly basis. So, um, yes, yeah, so there's a lot happening mm. um, and it's been happening quite quickly Um, which is good. I mean, Clarity Global wanted us to feel like part of their team quickly and I think that that is certainly the case.
0: What about for you, Sammy? Where's where's the opportunity in the the PR and comms space uh, at the moment? You know, Robin sort of mentioned the aspects of the business that she wanted to to turbocharge and found that in in your acquisition of Sefiani. Where do you see the PR and commons space going and 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 how's Clarity gonna, you know, sure. get there?
4: Yeah, well I think, you know, uh Sefiani is renowned for its um corporate reputation skills and that's something that we've been lacking across the group. So using um, you know, the the, the, the experts in in that field here in Sydney and establishing this as a real center of excellence. Uh, for corporate reputation and crisis management globally is a really big opportunity. Um, And I think there was some data published this week that that demonstrated that there's growing demand for that kind of uh, council. So we see a big opportunity there. And then obviously on the geographic front, you know, and this is something we'll be turning Mm -hmm. our attention to later this year and early next, how do we, you know, uh, seize the opportunity to use this as a launchpad for expansion into, into Asia? Mm. So, uh, you know, hopefully you'll be writing a story about that in the next 12 months. <laughs> uh, if you give it to me exclusively. <laughs> that's on record. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: I'd love to ask you about where you think, like, in general, the, the future of PR and comms is, particularly in the short term. Um Robin, if we would have had this conversation three or four years ago, it probably would have involved talking about creative and ECDs joining PR agencies. And the outlook was a little Mm. bit different Mm -hmm. in terms of where a lot of PR agencies, not necessarily Sefiani, but a lot of PR agencies uh, were looking to boost revenue. Where's the business opportunity now for PR agencies?
3: So... It's interesting because my own belief has just been borne out in a study uh, published in a global PR publication called Provoke. And every year they interview the top 100 corporate affairs leaders or co- communication leaders of the 100 biggest brands with the biggest budgets. Um, and so we're talking about budgets of 100 million a year that's going into communications and public relations or 50 million a year US dollars. And what they found, and it was only published earlier this week, is that by far the biggest share of budgets is going to corporate reputation management. Um, and it's 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 a big boost over the prior year. Um, and what's following that is executive positioning and thought leadership, which has also had a big boost. Um, employee communication has come in third. So the whole employee value proposition. So it's, it's very corporate focus. There's, there's, um, um, and then I think what followed that was digital content and, um, And sustainability and ESG communications, which was a big winner in previous years, has now dropped down. But I think that's absolutely still part of corporate reputation. You can't have a good corporate reputation if you don't have a strong commitment to doing the right thing by people and the planet. Um, So... Fortunately for us, this is exactly how Sefiani works. I mean, all of those things that are in demand are the services that we provide. Um, And I think, you know, things like... um, the incidence of cyber attacks on organisations has absolutely scared boards. Um, And when we look at, you know, Medibank and Optus and what happened there, and there was so much attention on how those two organisations responded um, that companies now are hungry for help in how do we prepare ourselves for that sort of crisis and how will we communicate and who do we need to talk to? Um, so, and that's not just for, for cyber, it's for behaviour in organisations. We do a lot of issues in crisis management work and definitely there's been a trend in recent years on um, pe- people that behave badly cause huge reputational damage to their organizations. And if they're at the top level of an organization, even worse. So whereas to your point, Damien, you know, creative directors and creative leads were the fashionable thing mm. to hire into agencies, I think now agencies are probably realizing we need good corporate capability, mm. good corporate reputation capability. Um, so I th- I think that's even though there might be a bit of a downturn in business, um, and we're not really seeing that in Australia yet, we're seeing a bit of slowdown in decision making. But the the US and the UK have had big drops in revenue, um, and I'm only repeating what I'm reading in in global publications. Um, but I think I think the future is very bright for us here in this country. Mm. Mm.
0: Uh, Semi. Sammy- same question to you. What um, you know? What do you see as the opportunity with PR and commons in general?
4: Yeah, I think um, all all of I would echo everything Robin just said, and add to it that you know, uh, putting data at the heart of mm. of everything, and ensuring that you know, uh, as PR practitioners, we are wherever possible. Uh, demonstrating real value um, with really meaningful business outcomes for the client. Uh, It has been a trend for a long time, but I think we're getting to the point where technology and data is enabling us to get quite granular about the actual real impact we're having on our clients' businesses um, over and above just securing column inches. So we're working in the background on building uh, a tech stack that's going to enable us to get really specific and granular from an insights perspective on how the work we're doing is really impacting our clients' organizations. Um, and I can, I can only see that becoming ever more valuable for the, the, the client-side buyers of agency services.
1: And that is it for today. Thank you so much for listening to the Mumbrella cast. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes and check out more on the Mumbrella website. Big thanks to Robin and Sammy for that wonderful chat from Mumbrella 360. And, of course, thanks to you, Damo and Nathan, for joining me today.
0: Thank you. Thanks, you at Mumbrella Awards. Woohoo! Partey.